0: ocean advocate is Kyle Tierman. Kyle is a pro surfer documenting and providing solutions to environmental and social issues around the world with his initiative Surfing for Change. Hi, Kyle. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Very excited to talk with you today, but I want to first give a shout out to Gnarly Beach Cleaner. You guys can find him on social media. He's super active on Instagram. This guy is the reason that Kyle is on the show today. Kyle recently met up with him. In LA, when he was there, and Gnarly Beach Cleaner said, You have to connect with Ocean Allison. So here we are. And Kyle is joining us from Santa Cruz, California. Very happy to have him on the show today. Speaking of Santa Cruz, California, Kyle, I want to ask you, what was it like growing up in kind of the surfing Mecca of the U.S. for you?
1: Well, I grew up on both the east side and the west side, which is kind of an interesting upbringing. When I was Young, my parents got divorced. My mom moved to Steamer Lane and my dad moved to Pleasure Point. So I would keep my blue wetsuits on the east side and my red wetsuits on the west side. (laughs) But it's kind of interesting, right? Because Santa Cruz is five miles from the west side to the east side. But most surfers will only surf the east side if they're from the east side. And most surfers on the west side will only surf those waves. But half of the waves that are the best in town are on either the east side or the west side. So I kind of got the best of both worlds in terms of being able to kind of slip into both lineups.
0: And so how was the ocean an influential part of your life thus far?
1: It's almost hard to talk about how the ocean is influential in my life because it's, I'm in the ocean so much and I've been in the ocean for so long. It almost just feels like it's such a big part of me that it's almost hard to separate it. But, I mean, the ocean is where I've gained all of my friend groups, some of my earliest friends, I met surfing. Uh, it's where I get my exercise. It's where I challenge myself on a day-to-day basis, from trying to okay. surf a longboard and hang ten to surfing a big wave up at Mavericks or something. You know, it's it's just this constant feedback loop for life. <laughs> Not to get too deep too quick, but. I I just love surfing. I love the ocean. I can't imagine ever not living on the coast. And just in the last couple of years, I've gotten really interested in spearfishing, too, because Santa Cruz, we have some good kelp forests and we get a lot of rockfish and lingcod. And that's opened up a whole new world to me, going down, diving on a breath and exploring this whole other world. It's interesting because you can surf your entire life, but you don't actually see the bottom of the ocean if you're in a place like California where... We have murkier water than a place like Hawaii or Tahiti, right, where you can actually see the fish and you can see the the reef. When you're surfing in Santa Cruz, there are fish swimming below you the whole time, but you're not going to see them, right? It's kind of they're these dark rock fish. But as soon as you go down, you dive down 20, 30 feet, and all of a sudden you're in this majestic kelp forest and you're looking up at the sun and there's fish swimming all around you. And that's been a really... Fun experience for me, just kind of having been in the ocean my whole life, but shifting my lens and just looking at the ocean from a whole new perspective just by going 15 feet down. And it's actually gotten me a lot more interested in ocean ecosystems and oceanography and all of that whole world that that you're in. I'm sure you could teach me a lot about. Um, there's there is this interesting disconnect between surfers and I don't want to say ocean activism, but, but ocean ecosystems, because we are very immersed in the ocean. But it's interesting because an ocean scientist who works for NOAA or Scripps or something like that, it's kind of a different world than surfers are in. Surfers are very lifestyle driven, very go out, get some waves, come in. And I found that the diving community, or at least surfers who have found spearfishing, are much more engaged because you actually see fish populations firsthand. Whereas as a surfer, unless you're diving and fishing a lot, you don't really see that. But it's something that needs to shift for sure because surfers are absolutely on the front lines. They have this huge megaphone to talk about ocean issues like ocean acidification or overfishing and all of these kinds of issues that, that we talk about. But sometimes. It, it's interesting because all it takes is going 15 feet below to see that whole world.
0: Yeah. I've heard it put explore the world beneath your board. And I think you're spot on in saying that there is sometimes a disconnect. And and for me personally, I love diving and snorkeling and I also love surfing. So sometimes I wish I could kind of do both at the same time, you know, when you're waiting for a wave, have your mask and you can (laughs) do both. Obviously it's not very functional, but, uh, it's definitely great that you're exploring the underwater world as well as surfing, and you're kind of just connecting to the ocean in any way possible. To kind of get back to surfing a little bit, you are a pro surfer, and you have a number of different sponsors like Cliff Bar and Patagonia. Uh, what does it mean to you to be a pro surfer?
1: What does it mean to be a pro surfer? Um am basically a glorified t-shirt salesman. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're on the, the World Surf League and you're in the top 32 uh, and, and you're like me, which is would be defined as a professional free surfer, you're a glorified t-shirt salesman. That being said, I have chosen to work with companies like Patagonia. Um, I actually don't surf for Cliff Bar anymore. I, Patagonia started making food recently. They're making uh, some great food now and really challenging Our food systems, Yvonne Chouinard is moving on to his next endeavor now that he's been working on clothes for such a long time, they're they're developing as sustainable, high-quality food as possible. So the the companies that I get to work with, like Patagonia, are much more message-driven than a lot of other companies. It's not just about selling a bathing suit and convincing its customers that you need a new bathing suit every single season. They're much more focused on like, hey, if you get this, you're going to have it forever. They have the ironclad guarantee, right? Where it's like, we don't want you to buy 100 items from us, which is, it's important because ultimately we don't need to be spending our time buying shit that we don't need, right? And it's really important that we take a step back from this materials economy and understand that. So, I mean, Patagonia absolutely is um i mean they're almost a billion dollar company they've gotten huge but they are a good model for other companies and i've seen other companies change their practices as a result of what patagonia has done and it's it's exciting to be a part of a company that that makes me feel like i'm standing up for something bigger than just selling a t-shirt so I mean, I'm kind of a pro surfer, but I would define myself more like if if I just introduced myself to you, I would define myself more as a, a video journalist. It's what has allowed me to surf for such great companies and do the work that I do. So basically, for the past eight years, I've created web documentaries about social and environmental issues through the lens of surfing. My sponsors have been a big Supporter of those documentaries and it we've covered all kinds of issues. I've for the longest time been really interested in ocean issues that aren't directly connected to the ocean at first glance, where it's not until act two or three that the viewer understands like, oh, wow, this is also connected to the ocean.
0: So with this passion for telling stories and making documentaries on these ocean issues that maybe don't seem quite connected to the ocean at first, but they truly are, you've gone on to make a lot of really great films. And I want to ask you about the story that launched you in this direction, because I think it's an amazing story, and I'd love for you to share it with listeners.
1: When I was 18, the big project that got me going was uh, I decided to make a short documentary on a proposed coal power plant that was going in on a beach in southern Chile. All the locals were against it. All the fishermen were against it. But big money mixed with big government was putting this coal plant right on the beach so that ocean water um, would be sucked in to cool the machinery and then spit back out. The whole ecosystem was going to suffer as a result of it. And I started doing research on this and Around the same time, I was doing a lot of research on the banking system and figuring out how we could be using our money to leverage as much change as possible, because a lot of times we're fighting these fights where it's heavily financially weighed towards the opposite end, whether it be big fish companies or uh, coal plants, basically big industry. And unfortunately, what we don't know is that a lot of these banks are using our money to finance these companies um, and underwrite their projects. And there are certain banks that use your money for good or for evil on a more consistent basis. Traditionally, if you have your money in a multinational bank like Bank of America, Citigroup, Chase, your money is not staying in your community, even though you deposit your check in your local branch, that money is being sucked into a larger pool. And it's actually being leveraged because of a law that's called fractional reserve lending. Basically, your money can be leveraged around 10 times as much as you actually have on deposit. So if you have 100 bucks in the bank, the bank is legally allowed to lend out about 1,000. And if you have your money in one of these multinational banks, there's a good chance your money is being used to underwrite projects that you might not want to support. And that if you have your money in, in a local bank or credit union, that money is also lent out, but it's, it circulates within your community at a much higher rate. It's kind of like spending your money at the local mom-and-pop dive shop as opposed to Big Five. So I was always really fascinated by these kinds of stories. We're taking a, You're taking a look at ocean activism a little bit further upstream. And that was kind of what got me going. And I, I did that project when I was 18, just threw together enough money to to get myself down to Chile with a filmer. Really had no idea what I was doing and got kind of thrown into the frying pan in terms of just interviewing people with my broken Spanish, getting as much footage as possible. My dad is a filmmaker, so he's helped me a ton and was always just like, okay, Kyle, make sure you get good audio. If nothing else, he's like, I do not care if if the video looks like shit, just get good audio because you can always cover it up with, with B-roll, right? Um, and I made this little video and then went back to Santa Cruz and was like, hi, I'm Kyle. I want to talk about the banking system with you. And people were like, what, what's this surfer talking about banking? And so we released that movie and it ended up having a huge impact on the internet. People started sharing it around. Um, I got to give a TEDx talk about the results that happened because I started getting these emails from companies, I'd kind of set up a little system for people to be able to write in and, and talk about if they made a the change, if, if they saw the movie and uh, moved their money to uh, call in and or, or write in and let us know how much. So we released the movie in 2008. We've documented over $360 million of lending power being moved out of B of A and, and into local banks around the world. That was really exciting. It, it's $360 million because of lending power, meaning that through fractional reserve, you can 10 times that. So is about $36 million. And then into lending power, it's 360.
0: And so essentially, your first film was a huge success. Not only did it get a lot of eyes on it, but it actually prompted individuals to move their money and be part of the solution, all basically for the love of the ocean. So I want to ask you, where did you take your passion for filmmaking and ocean activism from there? Ultimately,
1: it's, it's just been a road of, of natural curiosity and kind of moving from one thing to the next within my realm of the ocean. You know, I mean, for whatever reason, I was lucky enough to be born in a place like Santa Cruz, grow up in the ocean, have access to uh, a video camera because my dad... And it seriously from there is just about asking questions that I was interested in. And then from that, developing stories. So basically, from 18 to 24, I started this online series called Surfing for Change. Basically, I would travel to different surf destinations around the world and cover environmental issues and social issues. Did everything from the Indonesia trash epidemic to plastic pollution in Hawaii to the protests that have been happening in Hawaii based around the big um, agrochemical companies like Monsanto and Dow DuPont covered that whole story and it was really fun because I got a chance to work within film in a way that I was able to take on all these different roles right even if you're making a mini documentary there's there's the shooter there's the producer there's the host there's there's all these people behind the scenes that you don't normally see even if you're making a 6 minute if you see a 6 minute web documentary and it's well put together, you can bet there were probably four or five people involved at least in making that whole thing happen. And when I started out, I had such a, such a lack of financial resources to make these films that a lot of the trips I would just go by myself. So I would have to set up the camera, ask the questions, set up the camera again, be in front of the camera like, hi, I'm in Jeffreys Bay, South Africa, and I want to talk about this proposed nuclear power plant but looking back on it the lack of resources that i had at that point forced me to be really effective with the roles that i played and learn how to play every role right like i i know how to edit now i know how to produce and i'm a fairly good shooter but it was a struggle for sure because i was also doing the fundraising for the films so when it was all said and done it would take six months to produce a six minute web documentary and some of them would hit and get these and get huge views like the indonesia trash uh story has over a million views on youtube but then i would go and i would make a create a story i did one a couple years ago called save san miguel that i was really proud of but it didn't get the views for whatever reason. Like a lot of times its seriously, it's just about the thumbnail that you put on the video or the title, or like crazy wave at Mavericks, right? We'll get a hundred thousand views, but if you name it something that isn't so bombastic, it doesn't get those views. So from there, I kind of had to reflect on like, okay, what's the strategy that I want to be creating these films? Because ultimately, what I'm interested in doing is telling stories about, Issues that are relevant and important, and people that are working to solve those issues. I'm a big believer that the solutions of tomorrow, right, are here today, but we just don't know about them yet. So that kind of pivoted into what I do now, where I I work with Discovery Digital Network on their web documentary team as a correspondent. So I I kind of serve as their ocean correspondent for all non terrestrial based stories in the ocean. (laughs)
0: Something that I really love about the documentary short films that you make for Surfing for Change, and that I'm sure you're continuing to use the same philosophy with your digital shorts you'll be making for Discovery Channel, is that you not only document an issue, document a problem of some sector, but you really provide that solution. Like you mentioned, you really, or you at least highlight people that are Creating a solution. What motivated you, even from that initial scenario, that in Chile with that coal power plant and Bank of America and things like that? What motivated you, and still does, to really try to provide viewers with a solution that they can take?
1: It's uh, a good question. Probably, what motivated me from the beginning was frustration i've always been interested in in watching documentaries i'm a huge movie buff and i find that a lot of feature-length documentaries you know they kind of tell weave this beautiful story and this problem and i'm emotionally engaged i'm like oh my god what this is horrible i had no idea that this was happening what can we do and then it's like the, the end you know go to this website whatever and and sometimes i get it that is all that you can do if it's a If it's a really complex issue, sometimes there's not something that you can do directly. Um, But there are a lot of issues where you can do something directly, where it is something in your daily life that you make a, a little shift and it has this kind of butterfly effect given our connected global economy, right? If you choose to move your money or if you choose to not get a plastic bag when you go get a burrito it does have an effect in the sense that you don't see all the people's lives that you're impacting either positively or negatively from your decisions. So that was always interesting to me. It's kind of like just being a conduit for that. And it it is interesting though, right? Because not all of my movies do I provide solutions. And it's just different ways of storytelling. I think that way more than me trying to be the like, hey, you should do this kind of guy – where most viewers are like, dude, screw you. I have a mortgage and kids and don't try and guilt trip me, right? It's really important to kind of nudge people along like, hey, there's this opportunity to make a change. And my job is to highlight someone who's making that change. I would consider myself way more than an activist. I guess that's a broad word, but more as a filmmaker, like I'm kind of shining light on other characters a lot of times. And my job is just to leave room for that conversation to take place. It's not actually about me telling you what the solution is, especially if I'm going to another country like who am I to go to Indonesia, right? This middle class white kid who grew up in Santa Cruz and be like, oh, my God, you're what you're doing is so messed up. You shouldn't be using plastic. That's just not my role. And it's super entitled so I have to be kind of more, I think I've learned to be more nuanced about that as I've gone through life. But I mean, it's whether or not you're making a film or you're just trying to to get your friend to do change their behavior or your girlfriend (laughs) to change her behavior, her boyfriend, whatever, like you need to be nuanced about it. Right. If if you say like, what are you doing right now? God, you're blowing it so hard. Don't you know this? They're going to, shut down and they're they not going to want to change. I've found that if you kind of just subtly lead by example or show someone who's leading by example, behavior can shift really quickly.
0: Yeah. And I, th- I think another interesting point to that is, for instance, with the Indonesia trash film that you made, you're not going to Indonesia and telling Indonesians that they're doing something terrible or or, you know what are you doing trying to provide them with solutions really you're you're bringing the story and the message and the activity back to people that are from Santa Cruz too or people that are from places around the world that are just visiting Indo like you were and I think you're providing solutions to those people so I think that's really great. One thing I wanted to ask you about is your degree you got a degree in green business and you also focus a bit on media and film i know that you go to universities around the country and you speak to college kids about kind of what you do and how you've made that happen can you share with listeners how you took your degree this focus topic, green business and film, and you, you've really deliberately used those things in what you're doing now. Can you can you talk about what you say to these college kids? There's, I'm sure, some college kids listening now as well that would love to hear it.
1: Absolutely. So I went to an independent college. I, I did public school my whole life. Actually, my junior year, I, I switched to homeschool because so I was really bored with public school. I felt like it was. A big waste of time. The classes I was forced to sit through, and I actually wasn't a very good student either. I was—I've always been a terrible test taker, so I would get C's and you know B minuses all throughout my my high school career. And it actually was this—it was this weird moment where I was talking to my mom one time when I was a junior in high school, and I just like failed a test or something like that, and. She noticed that I was starting to think that I was stupid. And I was saying these things about myself like, I'm stupid. I'm not an intelligent person because I can't ace this test. And she was like, that's not true. Like You have qualities that you can give to the world that are uniquely your own and they're your strengths, and you should be focusing on those. I have a fantastic mom who just believed in me and believed in the philosophy that you can learn, you can learn everything through anything. So she took me out of public school. It was kind of a joint decision. And I was able to focus on stories. I was able to focus about learning, learning about things that I was interested in for like the first time in my life. So I was learning about the ocean, I was, and, and from that I learned about the banking system because I was interested in the ocean. And then from there I did my junior and senior year homeschool, and then I decided to go to an independent college program called Gaia University that focuses on transformative real-life learning, and you can get an accredited degree by going to this university that you can do from anywhere in the world. And you essentially have a lot of Skype calls with other students from around the world. And it's basically focused on going out into the world and doing a real project and then documenting it all, getting feedback. It's very process focused. So that first story I did down in Chile was a story that I was doing for credit for my university. And I was forced then to do a ton of reflection after every story that I did of like, okay, either it worked out or it didn't work out, but let's talk about why. And my ability to talk about the why was how I would get my grade. There was definitely aspects of needing to really pull it together, but I've found that those skills of being able to articulate what I did Wrong and why have been so useful for me today because now working in the job force it's interesting we really don't get that kind of feedback like we, we really unless we ask for it like yo dude shoot me straight did that movie suck I really need to know if my work is good or not and why I find that so many people are are afraid of that honest feedback and they really suffer as a result of that and and at my school it was just honest feedback all the time, reflection and and dissecting. And it was so helpful to not have it be this outcome-oriented schooling that you see so often in high schools and universities now across the country where it's, okay, I'm going to study for two days and ace this test and then forget everything I learned, which is such an unsustainable way of learning about anything. It really, I find if you want to learn something and have it stick with you, it needs to be integrated learning, which I'm so, yeah. so lucky I got that chance to do that. But I mean, in terms of, you know, if you're a college student listening to this, I probably wouldn't recommend, or maybe I would recommend, but I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how how your parents would feel about just being like, screw it, I'm going off and doing my own thing, right? But I, I know that a lot of people who I talk to who are college age, they're passionate about something, they know they're passionate about something, and they're just trying to figure out ways that they can make money at it, right? It's the whole monetary thing of like you can follow your passions till the end of time, but if you're poor for your whole life, that's not that awesome an existence, too. I mean, maybe it is, depending But uh, the best advice that was I actually heard recently from uh, the author Malcolm Gladwell, he was on the Tim Ferriss show, which I love, Um, he was saying that if you are a college student, you should be having challenging conversations with people who challenge you and people who you like. And if you are not, on a consistent basis, having conversations that challenge your own ideas – And dissecting and figuring out and having an open mind with other people in college, that's a waste of your time. And I love it when someone as successful as Malcolm Gladwell says something like that, because it's like, all right, right on. We just need to keep being curious about life and keep asking questions and figuring out what the better next question is to ask that will help us ultimately get to a solution which I mean, I love that you're doing this podcast, right? Because you're obviously a fantastic question asker. And it allows us to get to these parts in a conversation that you don't normally have a chance to get to in a two minute clip.
0: And I think that you and what you've been able to do is incredibly inspiring to young people, especially those that are interested in the ocean, whether it's just something that they like to enjoy or it's something that they're really passionate about creating change for, I think that you are a great example of a way to take a passion and really look at it from all sides and create actual change. So I think people that are listening, whether they're young or old, will be incredibly inspired by by what you're doing. So for listeners that are inspired by what Kyle is doing, Uh, I will be linking to all of the ways that you can interact with, connect with, watch Kyle's videos, all that great stuff. The first place that you guys should go is kyle.surf, and this is kind of his homepage. He has links to his YouTube channel there, to all of his social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, I will also link to his website so you guys can see all the videos that he has produced watch them learn from them be inspired by them and also see what he's posting on social media on on more of a regular basis to to see what he's up to so kyle again i want to thank you for all of the work that you're doing i think that the way that you are helping the ocean through all of these different channels such as financial channels and pollution and political and all these different ways i think it's absolutely amazing and i definitely appreciate it i think listeners appreciate it as well and i also want to thank you for being on the show today i very much so enjoyed talking to you
1: yeah thanks for having me on any listeners i'd love to get in touch i love hearing from like-minded people so hit me up on facebook or instagram and um, look forward to having a conversation with you
0: great well thanks so much kyle all right thank you you just heard Kyle Tierman, pro surfer and video journalist, documenting and providing solutions to environmental, social, and economic issues with the lens of an ocean advocate. To learn more about the topics discussed in this podcast, visit my website at AllisonRandolph.com and tune into next week's episode to hear another conversation between me and someone creating positive change for the ocean.